Hello and welcome to Life Learnings. I'm Dr. Barry Harker and my guest today is Pastor Danny Malenkov. Danny is the pastor of the Blue Haven and Canwell Seventh Adventist Churches in New South Wales. Danny is also an evangelist and a presenter on The Bible Teachers, a 3ABN Australia radio program. Danny has an infectious personality, as you will soon experience, and today I'll be talking with Danny about his life and ministry. Welcome, Danny, to Life Learnings. Thank you, Barry. Great to be here. Danny, tell me what motivates and drives your work as a pastor and evangelist. Well, I guess in a, in a few words, it would have to be the love of Jesus. I have experienced the love of Christ, his mercy, his grace in a powerful and profound way in my own personal life, uh, which I'm going to share um, in, during the course of this interview. And that really is the driving force behind everything I do. What's the greatest satisfaction you get from your work as a pastor and evangelist? Well, that's another very good question and um, one, that, one that I can answer quite easily. And that is seeing individuals, men, women, boys and girls, give their hearts to Jesus. There's nothing more exciting for me than to see the transformation um, in, an individual li- in, an, in an individual's life who has been touched by the love of Christ and to watch a person go from where they were, um, whatever, whatever their state may have been, to a place where they are radiating with the joy of Christ. To see that transformed life is just priceless, and I live for that, and I love that, and, and that's what I do what I do, and I'm just so blessed to be able to be part of that wonderful journey in people's lives. Is there such a thing as a typical day for you? Yes, there is a typical day, and um, the typical day is that no two days are alike. <laughs> um, I guess uh, the first thing that I seek to do is spend time with God. Um, that's the first thing I seek to do, regardless of what my day may entail, is to spend that personal time with Him, just to get on my knees, to open the Word, and to dedicate my life, uh, my day, into His hands, to pray that His will will be done, that his plans will be my plans and that I'll be in tune with his Holy Spirit. So I guess that's how the day begins. And um, if I have time, I like to go for a bit of a walk in the morning just to get the blood circulating, get a bit of fresh air into the lungs, um, have, a, have a good, solid, hearty, healthy breakfast um, that kind of keeps me going for most of the day. Um, if you saw the breakfast that I eat, Barry, you'd be quite amazed. Most people wouldn't eat that in a week. Um, by looking at me, you wouldn't think I eat that much, but I've been blessed with a, a good metabolism system. However, yeah, a good good solid start to the day with a good breakfast because I'm generally out and about for a lot of the day. Um, who knows where I'll be around lunchtime, so I don't bother with lunch. So I'll have um, in the afternoon, mid-afternoon, 3, 4 o'clock, I'll probably have uh, a kilogram of fruit. I love fruit. I'm mad about fruit. And, um, and then when I get home, I'll, I'll have a light meal or possibly some more fruit if I get home too late. So that's kind of on the food side. As far as, um, as, far as uh, ministry is concerned, um, yeah, the morning often I'll spend um, on the phone or doing admin, preparing my day, preparing sermons and, and other things that I need to do, Bible studies. And then from about the early afternoon or just after lunch, I'll usually head out and um, visit and do Bible studies with people and so on and so forth because I find that folk are generally home more so in the afternoons and evenings um, as well as meetings. So you're doing some evening work as well? Yeah, I do. Um, The evenings are the time when uh, a lot of folk, especially those who are working, are home. So I get an opportunity to visit with them and uh, study the Bible with them. 
run other meetings, church-related meetings. And um, so, yeah, so, so the evenings are generally quite busy. So I'll try and find a little bit of time um, to do some of those things that I like to do from a personal point of view during the day when it's a little bit slower and a little bit quieter. You've told us a bit about um, a typical day. What are some of the sorts of things that confront you as a pastor? Well, um, pastoral work is very challenging. Um, it's uh, very emotionally draining at times um, in that you're dealing with, with, with people um, continually. There are various challenges that, 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 that come across your, your path. I guess some of the, some of the big challenges are, for me are how to, how to encourage people in their walk with the Lord and how to seek to lift them higher and higher in their, in their walk with the Lord um, and at the same time be gentle and kind as well as seek to encourage them to, to go forward. And it's a real fine balance between sharing with someone the truth and sharing it in a loving and sensitive way. I guess we live in a, a very different world today. Um, we live in a world uh, where people are more sensitive um, than, than they may have been in the past. And uh, we live in a politically correct world as well. So often you, you, you're kind of a little bit afraid or you hesitate to sort of share it the way it may be for the way it may be perceived. I do believe in sharing the truth, but I do believe sharing in a loving and kind way. So, yeah, just finding that balance. And that's probably the biggest, the biggest challenge um, in, in how, to, how to go about that in a personal situation, in, in a board, church board situation, in other situations, just finding that balance to continually encourage and grow people, but at the same time be sensitive and loving. Now, ministry and evangelism have some intellectual challenges, don't they? So how do you keep up with the intellectual challenges that face you as a minister and an evangelist? Well, I believe the Lord has given us, um, has given us the ability to reason. Um, he has given us minds, uh, a wonderful blessing, and, and he's, given us, he's given us a faith that I believe can be understood in a very logical way. By that I mean what God has given us as far as faith is concerned. Um, he wants us to understand it not just in a blind sense, but he wants us to be able to reason through our faith. It needs to make sense. So when it comes to when it comes to me grappling with the intellectual side of, of faith or or belief, I believe that it's important for us to see what God's Word says and then compare that uh, with what we see around us, compare it with science, compare it with philosophy, compare it with history, uh, com compare it with the things that, that we can see and that we can test and so on and so forth. And I believe that as we do that, in particular Bible prophecy, um, as we put the pieces together, we will clearly be able to see that although we don't have all the answers, um, I certainly don't don't claim that I have every single answer for every single question that is posed, but I believe we have enough evidence, enough solid evidence based on um, the externals that I've just mentioned. When we compare scripture with that which we see, that which we know, that which we can test, that scripture does have substance. It is truth, and, um, and we can put our faith and trust in it. Hmm. What do you do individually, personally, to sort of keep up with the issues? Do you read, watch DVDs, go to the library? What do you do? Well, there are, 
there are three things that I seek to do um, in order to to sort of stay stay in tune with uh, where things are at and in order to be relevant to the individuals I'm seeking to minister to. And that is, number one, I seek to read the Word of God and I seek to ask and pray that God will give me wisdom, um, that I may understand what He's trying to share with me through His Word. I believe that God's Word is is not just a book that's been put together by human beings. Um, I believe that God's Word is just what God claimed it to be, inspired by God. God breathed and that God gave His Word to us directly. Uh, he gave us... He gave it to us through his servants, the prophets, as the Bible says. And so it comes directly from God. So I seek first and foremost to to be in touch with what God has to say through his word and, and praying for wisdom that I will understand um, the message that he has. Number two, I seek to um, be, in, be in touch with history. I believe that uh, you cannot truly understand the Bible unless you understand history, not only Bible history, but general history. Mm-hmm. And so I seek, to, I seek to be as informed as I possibly can when it comes to history. And thirdly, um, I seek to be informed on what's taking place in the world. Uh, I don't spend all day on the internet or, or watching 24-hour news. I don't have that. Um, however, I do try and keep abreast of, of some of the major issues that are taking place in the world, especially as they relate to Bible prophecy especially as they relate to the signs that Jesus gave us uh, that would precede his coming and how we can be prepared. So, so the Bible, history, and current events really gives me a good context for understanding the times that we're living in and, more importantly, how we ought to respond to mm-hmm. the times that we're living yeah. in. Now, the concept of blind faith is out there, and it's quite strong today. What do you see as... Um, what do you see as the reason why this has arrived at this point? Is it because when we've not been good at communicating the history and the and and the um, the evidences for the Christian faith? Why is this concept of blind faith being nailed to Christianity so often out there in the public domain when the when the evidence is there, as you say? I think what you have said is spot on. I'd have to agree with you, Barry. Um, I don't believe that as Christians we have conveyed the evidence from Scripture in a reasonable and in a logical manner for the average person to be able to not only understand but to be able to um, comprehend and and to take that on board. I believe for far too long uh, we have we have simply shared with individuals that all they need to do is believe. You know, we quote that Scripture from John three sixteen: "For God so loved the world that who you know." Uh, how does it go? For God's love the world, whosoever believes in him, him should not perish, perish and have everlasting life. life. And we've taken that scripture as our modus operandi, if I could say, and, um, and all we invite people to do is believe. Believe um, how it all comes to be. Don't worry. One day we'll find out. One day we'll know. At this point in time, all we need to do is believe. Um, however, there is more to belief than just simply believing and blind faith as as you referred to it and as many referred to it. I believe that God has given us the scriptures. He's given us the evidence. And uh, if we will continue to ask people simply to believe without giving them solid evidence on what their beliefs can be based on, I believe uh, there will be there will be more and more individuals 
shying away from the truth and coming to the conclusion, and rightly so, that Christians believe in a blind faith, whereas the other side believe in uh, faith based on reason, based on scientific um, analysis and scientific reasoning. And we as Christians, we just believe in the blind faith. So I think that's a very important um, distinction. And so we need to we need to be very aware that God has given us faith, and that faith is based on solid evidence. And Jesus said, when you see these things come to pass in John 14, 29, speaking of the things that were about to happen, the prophecies were about to happen. He said, when you see these things come to pass, I've told you ahead of time that you may believe. Hmm. So Jesus told us very clearly, when you see this take place, this will strengthen your faith. This will give meaning to your faith, and this will enable you to believe even more so. So there's a role for evidence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what are some of the most powerful evidences for you? I mean, for me... Uh, Christianity is a historical religion. It makes a historical claim that Jesus was the Son of God, that he lived on this earth, that he died, and he was resurrected. He's now interceding for us. So that that claim can be tested in history. So that would be an evidence for me. What What for you are some of the most powerful evidences for your faith? For me... Some of the most powerful evidence, as uh, as, as you have suggested, um, one of them being that Jesus was a historical figure. Um, there is evidence not only in the scripture but from outside sources regarding that um, the the growth of the Christian church, the phenomenal growth of the Christian church um, based on the testimony of this individual, Jesus Christ, who claimed to be the Son of God. I also see the prophecies of the Bible. We've talked about that. Uh, the incredible fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And maybe later on I'll share with you how, how Bible prophecy was an integral part in my own personal mm-hmm. conversion experience. Um, I just could not deny uh, the things that were written um, centuries, thousands of years ago and how they have come to pass and are continuing to come to pass as we speak um, in, in a most incredible, precise way. Um, So Bible prophecy is another evidence. But the greatest one of all would have to be the the change in an individual's life who accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who accepts the Bible as their template for how to live life. Uh, That incredible change, that incredible transformation, or as the Bible calls calls it, metamorphosis, from one thing to another, and I've experienced that myself, and I see that continually. That, for me, would have to be the greatest evidence that the Bible and Christ and these teachings are truly from God, and not just change for the sake of change, but I'm talking about change for the sake of of a life being lived in a far more in a far more. I'm not sure what you, word to use here, but um, in a, in in the abundant life experience, you know, just enjoying life to the full and in a positive sense. So that would have to be the greatest evidence. Now, you believe that Jesus is coming soon. Absolutely. What evidence do we have for that? How long do we have, Barry? <laughs> Not long now, but, uh, but perhaps we could well, do another program. Oh, this. wow. <laughs> um, I, guess, I guess the listeners who have been tuning in to the program, The Search for Certainty, um, they'll be well aware of of a number of the issues that we have looked at 
concerning the signs of Jesus coming, uh, they are just everywhere. Um, uh, the signs that Jesus gave us, um, he said we were to look out for in the, in, in the social world. Um, and today there are great changes taking place in the social world, you know. Just just incredible changes. Uh, in the past 20, 30, 40, 50 years, um, the world has completely changed. Um, it certainly has in my lifetime. Absolutely. Even in my lifetime. I'm only in my mid-40s, and I can just see the incredible change in society. Um, the things that we value, our morals, um, and so on and so forth. Then there is um, great change when it comes to um, matters in the religious world. Um, Jesus said we were to look out for that. Um, when it comes to the political world as well, the, this this world is in a in a, in a state um, unlike at any other time. Some of the challenges that we're facing environmentally, um, we're facing some some huge challenge, and Jesus talked about that also. And I guess the greatest one of all, the one that brings me greatest joy, is. Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. And today through technology such as the internet and radio and television, uh, we have the opportunity um, and the ability to be able to share the gospel uh, to more people in more in in more ways and through more methods than ever before. So that for me is is the greatest sign that Jesus is coming very soon. That the good news about him and his love is being shared far and wide amongst the seven plus billion people in the world. So what does that belief that Jesus is coming soon do for you and your ministry? I guess it brings more joy more joy into my life each and every day. And it, it, it strengthens my faith, Barry. It really strengthens my faith. Um, every time I see a news headline, uh, every time I see a changed life, I recognize that, that Jesus is coming and his coming is drawing nearer and nearer. And it does. It, it drives me more so to share this good news with people, to invite more um, into a saving relationship with Jesus and to be prepared for his coming. Now, what are the challenges that you face in public evangelism today? We talked about the concept of blind faith before. Is there a cultural resistance to Christianity? Um, are people just apathetic? Uh, what are the factors that make it difficult to be an evangelist in our society today? That's a very good question, Barry, and, um, and I have often pondered uh, that question. Had the privilege of running evangelistic programs here in Australia, uh, as well as in the third world. I've been to Africa, had the privilege of going to Africa, several countries there in Africa, and the South Pacific also. And seeing the difference between the two has just been remarkable. I mean, doing evangelism or, or conducting evangelistic programs uh, in the third world um, Compared to Australia and New Zealand, um, and I guess the Western world, it's, it's like night and day, night and day. Here in Australia, it is very difficult. Um, you spend thousands of dollars on advertising um, in newspapers and flyers and uh, radio and, and, and other means. And relatively speaking, only a handful of individuals will come along to hear the good news of salvation. Why? 
I guess there are many reasons. I personally believe one of the reasons is that uh, we are very, um, in, in comparison to the rest of the world, we are very wealthy. Um, and uh, the more wealth we have, studies have shown, the, the less there is interest in God and the less there is interest in spiritual things. Well, certainly from a biblical perspective. So I guess um, we, we fall into the category of um, what Jesus said to the Laodicean church, where you are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And here in the Western world, people just don't sense their need for God. They have great needs, great, great needs. I mean, we all know that, um, all sorts of needs. There are family needs. There are, there are health needs. People have all sorts of needs. But God is not seen as the solution. The word of God is not seen as the solution to those needs and people seek other avenues in order to meet those needs. Whereas in the third world, in the third world, you get up and you preach very in a very straightforward manner. You share the good news. You share the ultimate solution is Jesus. Yes, we need to pray for our governments. Yes, we need to do this and we need to do that. But ultimately, Christ is the only solution, not only in the hereafter, but in the here and now. And so people flock and people come by the hundreds. They come by the thousands and uh, they are lining up and asking for prayer and they are hungry. They're seeking. They don't have much as far as this world is concerned, but they are seeking for for that new world. They are seeking for the world that Christ um, is preparing for those who love him. So that has taught me a valuable lesson. um, And that is the more we have as far as this world's goods are concerned. The more we have of things, the, the more prosperous we are, the less we are inclined to seek for, for God and, and to seek after him. Now, I guess one of the reasons why the West is so resistant is because we also have this caricature that science has got all the answers and really basically has subverted the Christian role in our society. It really is a caricature. Because essentially, uh, Christianity has more evidence, I believe, than science to look at its you know, respective worldview. So I guess that's part of it. It's the prosperity. It's also the intellectual climate in the West where we don't feel that we need God. Mm. We're in a post-Christian society. So in the, in the uh, developing world, people are more open to these things, uh, more open to spirituality. I guess you would expect then, if that's true, that when people become prosperous in the third world, that they would also diminish in their um, desire for spiritual things as well. That's true, and that's happened. Um, Like I had the opportunity of going to uh, Malawi, uh, Tanzania, and also Botswana. They're the three countries I had the opportunity of going and running programs over the last three years or so. And Botswana, if you take a a look at their per capita earnings, is right up there uh, on the African continent. However, Malawi is down the bottom. And um, there were hundreds, thousands of individuals that came out in Malawi, whereas there was a a, a very small number that came out in Botswana. Uh, When we ran exactly the same meetings, the same advertising, everything was exactly the same. Um, however, the, the response differed. And once again, it was very much based on, it was based on the, the, the need of individuals, um, the, them sensing their need. And the more they have of this world's goods, the less they seem to have a need of God or certainly see him as, as the solution. So once again, 
I think, uh, well, Jesus said, how hard is it for a rich man <laughs> to enter into the kingdom of heaven? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And, I mean, these truths have been around for the last 2,000 so years. So Jesus put his finger on it. He, he put his finger on the pulse. Ago, he, yes. he, yeah, Jesus nailed it. And um, and so and so I, I think, I, be, I personally believe, Barry, that the greatest challenge um, that we face is reaching those in the first world, reaching those in the Western affluent world. That is the greatest challenge. I see Australia and New Zealand, Western Europe, the United States, Canada, these countries. I see these countries now as the mission field. Once upon a time, we looked at the mission field as, you know, the Papua New Guineas and the Solomon Islands and the you know, the African continent and Asia and so on and so forth as the mission field. But I believe the mission field has changed. And today the mission field is this Western world uh, that is that is in the grip of, of this postmodern view where we can solve the problems that we face, not through Christ and through his word, but through human ingenuity, human thinking, human philosophy, human ideals and ideas and and, and and a way of life. So I believe that's the greatest challenge. Danny, I guess that as a pastor and evangelist, you live and breathe ministry. Tell me about the impact this has on your wife and children. Well, um, yeah, that's a very sober question indeed. And I, I seek to ask myself that question each day, not so much the way you've asked it, but um, I seek to ask myself, how is my family being impacted by by the work that God has called me to do? Am I placing my family first and foremost, um, or am I or am I allowing my work um, to to reign and to rule? Right from the very beginning, um, I was blessed to have a mentor, uh, Pastor Doug McLeod. Some some of the listeners may be may be familiar with him. He was there in New Zealand. I began my work in Palmerston North in New Zealand after graduating from Avondale College at the end of 1998. And so under, under his, um, uh, I guess, leadership or mentorship, he taught me a number of things, but one thing that he ingrained and he ensured that I followed through was to spend time with my family every day. And so um, I had two little girls then. Um, they're well and truly grown up now. They're my little girls still, but they're not very little. Um, and so I would take two to three hours every day, generally in the afternoon, to spend with them and with my wife. And, and so that, that habit um, has remained with me. And I guess it's different today. The girls, are one's in university, one's completing high school. Um, so they're busy with their lives. However, that taught me and that helped um, establish for me uh, good patterns when it comes to placing family first. So that's a very important one because, yes, I mean, ministry is a never-ending task. Uh, my to-do list is never completed. Uh, my to-do list is continually growing. I get to the end of the year and um, it's just it's twice as long as it was from when I began the year. So there's always more work to do, always more people to visit, always more people to study the Bible within this time. But one thing I, I do want to focus on, and I don't do as well in this area as I ought to, admittedly, um, but I do want to place my family, the needs of my wife, the needs of my two, da- my two daughters, uh, first and foremost, after God, that really is my first ministry field. That's my first mission task is my home. If so, I fail here and save the world, 
I have not really achieved what God has wanted me to do. Mm. So you've got to learn to set those boundaries. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Danny, working with people inevitably brings disappointments. How do you deal with the disappointments that you might be confronted with in ministry? The way that I deal with those disappointments, I struggle at times and as I think through those disappointments. But the one, the one way that I have been able to deal with it is just to bring them before the Lord in prayer. For example, um, it happens uh, more often than I'd want it to happen, but I'm studying the Bible with someone or sharing the Bible. And for whatever reason, the person says, look, um, I'm no longer interested or I'm no longer able to continue. They stop going to church or they, they lose interest in spiritual things. They lose interest in Bible study. And that, that saddens me. That, that really saddens me because they're, they're, they're disconnecting with Christ they're, or they're, they're disconnecting from Christ. They're, they're disconnecting from engaging with with other believers that that are there to encourage them on their journey. So I'm seeing them moving away from that narrow path that leads to the kingdom of God and going back onto that wide road, you know, that leads to perdition, as the Bible says. So that really does discourage me. That saddens me because I can see that their eternal life is is at stake and they are wandering from that path that, that God has placed them on. And so I pray for them. That's all I can do. I can pray for them. I can encourage them. I can continue to keep in touch with them. But I guess that's, that's one of the ways that I deal with um, the disappointments. And that would be the greatest disappointment in ministry. So having those sorts of disappointments would be very draining on you. How do you personally renew yourself for ministry? By going out and um, enjoying some walks. I love brisk walking and I also enjoy, I've just taken it up a couple of years ago since coming to this part of the world. Um, there's a wonderful mountain bike track not far from my home and so I jump on my bike whenever I can and I go and do a lap or two uh, around this bike track in the bush and hang out with the kangaroos and uh, try not to fall off <laughs> and go off the edge, which I've done several times <laughs> and end up in hospital. So yeah, I, I love the bush. I, I love nature. I, I get so much satisfaction um, from, from being in nature. And so that's how I refresh. That's how I recharge my batteries. It also gives me an opportunity to have some time out away from people because I'm constantly talking to people or with people. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, my, that's, that's the way that I recharge and just have, have personal time. Now, you also work collegially with um, people like Pastor Peter Watts on projects. What's the advantage of doing this in, in relationship to ministry? It's almost like tag team ministry, isn't it? It is. It is. Look, I, I really love it. Um, I love working with um, other ministers. Uh, in particular, you mentioned Peter Watts. Pastor Peter Watts is a good friend of mine. Um, we connected on a, on a Bible Lands tour back in 2010, a Reformation and Bible Lands tour. We were assigned to sit on the bus um, side by side. So we really got to know each other. And um, he's a great guy. And um, the, I guess the reason why I love to hang out with individuals like him is because we're on the same page. Um, we bounce ideas off one another and, and he shares with me things that I may not have seen. I share with things that um, he may not have seen. And so the time just really goes by quickly. So it's great catching up because ministry can be a very lonely journey. Mm -hmm. um, 
in the work that we, li- uh, we, we work in, I mean, it's kind of a very much, a, you know, you're on your own. Yes, we get together with other ministers from time to time, once a month or once every three or four months with all the ministers here within our conference um, here in North New South Wales, where, I, where I'm currently based. But generally speaking, it's a pretty lonely kind of um, existence as a minister. So hanging out with fellow colleagues at different times, running programs together is a real blessing. And you have to be organised yourself, really. No one is there to organise your program. So with all this huge amount of work that you need to get through, you have to be organised and disciplined. So it must be great to be just able to step aside from that occasionally and spend some time with other people. Absolutely, yes. And, um, yeah, we're supposed to be organised, aren't we? <laughs> That's easier said than done at times. I am learning to be better organised. Well, you have to be You have to be organised in ministry if you're going to um, survive for any length of time while surviving a, in a profitable way. Um, I'm, I'm blessed to have a wife who is super organised, and um, she kind of is my diary. I have a diary, but I don't really utilise that much. I utilise her more. As my diary, she is in tune with what's happening. She asks me, what are you doing today? What are you doing tomorrow? So she's just a super organised person. So, um, But, yeah, it's, 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 it's great to be able to step aside and to be able to connect with others and just to bounce things off one another. Now, you told me that you go um, riding in the bush as part of your renewal what would you choose to do in your spare time other than the, the riding the bike? You've got a bit of downtime, that very difficult concept called spare time. <laughs> what would you do? Would you read, go for a swim, spend time with your family? What would you do? Well, look, I, I, I love every, anything, anything active. Uh, my wife will tell you and those people who know me, I, I don't like to just sit around and not do much. I love to read um, when I get an opportunity, but I, I love to get out and about. I love going to the beach, um, love swimming, love playing soccer, uh, love love anything and everything outdoors. Um, the reason why I, I love bike riding so much is because it, yeah, it really gets my heart going. Um, I'm out in nature and I just have quiet time. You know, with the Lord, and I just, I just love that entire environment. So, yeah, the spare time. Um, I love, I love traveling. I uh, really love to travel and see different places, talk to different people. I'm, um, as you, as you, as you know, and probably some of the listeners would have gauged by now. I'm, um, I'm a, I'm an extrovert uh, when it comes to when it comes to my relationships with people. I really love to talk to people. I'm always the last one to leave church, um, always the last one to leave anywhere. Um, so my wife decided we needed two cars. She wasn't going to wait for me any longer. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just, I, just, I just love hanging out with people, talking to people, spending time with people, different cultures, learning. And, yeah, I get a lot of energy from that, and I just really enjoy that. So, yeah, anything to do with... Getting to know people, getting to know other places, getting out there, I love to do that. I'm Dr Barry Harker and you're listening to Life Learnings on 3ABN Radio Network. My guest today is Pastor Danny Malenkoff, Seventh-day Adventist pastor and evangelist. We'll go to a break now and when we come back, I'll be continuing my conversation with Danny about his life and ministry. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 2 
4973 That is radio at the number 3ABN Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc., PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. If you've just joined me, I'm Dr Barry Harker and you're listening to Life Learnings on 3ABN Radio Network. My guest today is Pastor Danny Malenkov, Seventh-day Adventist pastor and evangelist. I'm talking with Danny about his life and ministry. Danny, tell me about your early life and your family. Well, my mum and dad, they grew up and were born in Macedonia, the former Yugoslavia. And uh, soon after they got married, they made a decision to head down south, uh, to, to head to the other side of the world. And um, so they jumped on a boat on an Italian ship and headed to Australia. My mum was three months pregnant at the time with me. And it wasn't an easy journey for her. So you were made in Macedonia? Yes, I was. Yes, I was conceived in Macedonia and dropped off in Melbourne. Dropped off in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to call it that. Yes. So, um, so anyway, I made it. I made it here, born in Melbourne in um, 1971, all those years ago. And so I have two, two sisters that followed. I lived in Melbourne for 20 plus years. How, what was the question? How much did you want to know in this section? I could keep going and going, Barry. <laughs> just tell us, just tell us uh, about your early life. You know? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I grew up, uh, grew up in a, in a Christian home. Um, were, your my, par- were your parents Adventists? Yes, they were. My mother became a Seventh-day Adventist. She was the first one in her family to um, take on board the Seventh-day Adventist faith. My father was born into a Seventh-day Adventist home. I'm um, not sure... I think his parents may have become Seventh-day Adventists, but I haven't confirmed that with him. I've been meaning to do that. However, um, yeah, so I grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist home, uh, went to Sabbath school uh, from a little boy, from nappies, and, um, and all the way through went to um, Adventist schools. Uh, not, not all the way through. I went to um, several state schools. Um, but as a child, I guess I had a wonderful upbringing. Um, I, can, I, can truly, I can truly say that um, I was brought up in a loving home, a uh, godly mother and a godly father, um, in particular my mother who stayed home while my dad went out to work, um, sought to bring us up in the ways of the Lord. She believed in that scripture, you know, train up a child in the way he or she should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from the path. And um, so although I... I moved away from the Lord, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get to that as we go along. But that early upbringing, that love of the Lord that was instilled within me uh, was something very precious as I look back on it. And so, yeah, I grew up in a loving family. My it's mom- not easy to escape, is it? It's not easy to escape your background. No, it's not. No, it's not. I mean, you are dependent on, on the family you grow up in, the society you grow up in and so forth. You know, we're a product of, of our upbringing, as, as we say. And so, yeah, like I said, I grew up in a very loving home. I mean, just to illustrate that, um, uh, my mum and dad, they would make everything from scratch. We didn't buy jams. Uh, we didn't buy 
juices. My dad went out to the markets and he and he made juices from scratch, from from the fruit, um, and so they made jams themselves from scratch. And so, so I grew up in a in, in a home where the love of my parents was really poured out on me and my two sisters in an abundant way. So I was really, really blessed in that sense. What did you like to do as a child? I like to get up to lots of mischief. Um, <laughs> I find that hard yeah, to believe, don't you? You find that hard to believe. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, one of my favourite activities was um, somehow wiggling my way away from my mum in the shopping centre and getting lost and playing hide-and-seek with my mum in the shopping centre. And you can imagine how much she loved that activity. <laughs> well, I didn't quite love what happened when we got home. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that happened a number of times. Yeah, I was a real mischievous kid. I was a very active kid. I wasn't so much a naughty kid. Uh, well, I think so anyway. Others might disagree. Um, that had to deal with me. But, yeah, I was, I was a kid full of life, uh, full of activity. Um, I was very inquisitive. Um, yeah, had had a lot of questions, and I guess I'm no different to today. Today, I'm you know whether I'm whether I'm here, whether I'm going on holidays, whether I'm on my honeymoon. I want to do things. I just want to find things. You know, I want to see things. I want to see what's behind that corner. <laughs> I'm not content to just go so far. I want to go behind that corner. If there is something possibly behind the next corner, I want to go and check out what's behind the next corner. So that's kind of what I was like as a kid, and I guess that got me into a, a few a few interesting spots. <laughs> Now, being inquisitive and curious is a good recipe for having a successful school experience. What was school like for you? School was great. Um, yeah, I guess it was great overall. Uh, I did experience a little bit of bullying. Um, I was different to some of the other children. Um, was so, that because of your ethnicity? Uh, yes, it was, a little uh, regarding that. Um, uh, also... A few different things. Like I said, my parents were very loving and kind. And um, and I grew up in Melbourne, and Melbourne's a little bit cool in the wintertime. So um, one experience that I'll never forget is my dad ensuring and my mum ensuring that I needed to wear my pyjamas underneath my uniform. And so when my friends found out that I'm wearing my pyjamas underneath my uniform, guess what they'd do? They'd lift up my, they'd lift up my pants, um, my uniform pants, and lo and behold, there were these colourful pyjamas underneath. And that was really exciting, wasn't it, for did everyone you, but me? <laughs> did you have a good talk to your parents after that? Oh, boy. So what I did was um, as soon as we got to school, the first thing I did was go to the toilet and not to go to the toilet for what you go to the toilet for, but to go and take off these pyjamas and to put them in my bag and um, hope and pray that nobody will take them out of my bag to make more fun. So anyway, that was just one situation. Um, you know, my mum, I remember in first grade, first grade um, in a state school where I started school, and my mum, uh, she wouldn't send me to school with sandwiches, you know, with uh, butter and peanut butter and jelly and whatever, hundreds and thousands. No, she'd come to the school with a homemade lunch. <laughs> and while all my friends are there eating their sandwiches, um, my mum's there unpacking the beans and unpacking all this Macedonian food and giving it to me. And I'm like, Mum! <laughs> You shouldn't be here. Parents can be an embarrassment uh, oh sometimes, boy, can't they? Oh, boy, oh, boy. Fortunately, <laughs> after that, um, yeah, I moved to an Adventist school and we had to travel by bus about 45 minutes so my mother couldn't come to the school anymore. <laughs> we didn't live that far away. Anyway, so, yeah, that were just some experiences. But like I said, um, yeah, I grew up in a very loving home and I was blessed by that. Um, 
Yeah, it was great. So I guess looking back on it now, you think it's, you know, it's uh, it's, it's a good story. It makes a good story. Absolutely. And you forget about all the embarrassment that Absolutely. you had back in those days. Did I tell you that I broke the principal's window with a stone one day? No, you better no. tell me that story. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was the reason. One of the reasons why my parents thought we need to move Danny out of the state school. That was in year one. Imagine breaking the principal's window How in did you year do one. How did you do that, Danny? Well, I was uh, the, the principal's window happened to be in the wrong place. And I was just, I had a stone and I was just throwing it up against the wall. Next to the window, I had no idea the principal's window was right there, and I happened to miss the wall. And um, <laughs> and yes, well, <laughs> I guess that was one of those lessons that imprinted itself on you. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So my parents decided we need to send Danny to a Christian school. <laughs> now, now, how and when did you embrace the Seventh Adventist faith seriously for yourself and Jesus? When did that happen? Okay. Well. Um, as, as I've shared, I grew up in an Adventist home. Um, however, during my teenage years, um, my mischievous personality um, moved to the next level. Uh, I got caught up uh, with a bunch of friends and so forth that were not the best influence on me. And I tended to be a follower um, back then. And so I got involved in activities that... You're not a follower now, though, are you? Well, not as much. I don't don't see you as a follower. I I do a little bit of that. I hope to follow Jesus and (laughs) and anyone else who's um, on the right track. But no, I was, I guess, more so back then. Um, And so, yeah, I got involved in activities that were, were, let's just say, um, activities that were leading me further and further away from the Lord and His plans for my life. And um, so a lot of things I got involved in and I'm not very... Uh, not very proud of it all. In fact, very ashamed of. Um, in fact, I've, I've, I've apologised to some individuals um, for the things that um, I have, you know, I had done to them that had caused them pain and grief. The Lord brought that to my, to my conscience, and so I needed to deal with that. Both school teachers as well as, as well as students and and others. Um, so. Yeah, growing up in that environment, um, moving further and further away from the Lord. 1990 was um, was the instrumental year for me when um, at the age of 18 uh, I gave my heart to the Lord and it was quite an interesting um, uh, 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 yeah, it, it was interesting how that all took place it was a Friday night um, Moomba Friday night in Melbourne those who are from Melbourne or those who are familiar with Moomba it's a festival um, each year there in, in, in Melbourne during the month of March. And so my, f- my friends uh, were supposed to come and pick me up on this Friday night and we were to head out to Moomba and, and have a great time. I'd walked away from the Lord. Um, I really wasn't attending church, didn't really have any interest in spiritual things. As I pointed out, you know, I was living a life far away from God, you know, the nightclubs and, and, and the parties and all that sort of thing. Um, never got involved in drugs, I thank God for that, or alcohol. I didn't want to go anywhere near that. I saw what alcohol did to my friends and how stupid they looked um, when they were drunk. And so I didn't want to ever go down that road. And um, But even so, yeah, I was living a life far away from God. Until, yeah, 1990, and uh, my mother, um, who loved me dearly, continues to love me dearly, um, she she was praying how to reach her son, how to reach this prodigal son of hers. And so she headed off on the other side of town. Um, we lived in a place called St. Albans. They're in the western suburbs of Melbourne, and she headed off to Nunawading, which is on the eastern side there at the uh, 
conference or the Seventh-day Adventist Church conference there for Victoria. And there's an ABC or an Adventist book center there. And she would hire these Kenneth Cox videos on the book of Revelation. And so she brought these videos home. And I remember this Friday night, Moomba Friday night, I'm waiting for my friends to come along and pick me up. And my mum had put in this video. That were the days of the videos. Barry, you remember the days of the videos? I do. I do. <laughs> um, some of the listeners will be like, what's a video? Well, <laughs> Google it and you'll find out what a video is. Um, and so my mum put in this video of Kenneth Cox on the book of Revelation. And um, while I was waiting for my friends, I started watching, um, looking at my watch, wondering where are my friends. But as the as the evening progressed, as the time progressed, I looked less at my watch and thought less about my friends and Moomba and all the festivities for that evening. And I became engrossed in what this American evangelist was saying uh, via the TV screen. And he was sharing on the love of Christ. He was talking about the seriousness of the decision that we need to make and that we need to make a choice. You know, we are faced with eternal life or eternal death. Uh, Jesus Christ or this world and we need to make a choice and I'm not sure what he shared but um, I, 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 can, I can only guess that the overall message was you know Jesus pleading you know behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears uh, my voice and opens the door I will come into him and dine with him and he with me Revelation 3.20 and that evening um, my mother walked away at some point I'm not quite sure when and I'll watch three hours three one hour sermons um, of Kenneth Cox on the book of Revelation and that evening at the age of 18 I gave my heart to the Lord and um, and I remember crying and weeping it was close to midnight and I remember praying um, Lord forgive me for my sins. I mean, the Lord just brought to my mind all, you know, my life lived apart from him and the consequences. And so I asked God for forgiveness. And I said to him, Lord, if you can use me in any which way, here I am, use me. And so that was the beginning of my of, of my journey with Christ. That was, mm -hmm. I guess, my conversion experience. I truly believe, Barry, that every single individual, no matter if they have grown up in the church, in a Christian environment, they need to come to a point in their journey where they need to accept Christ for themselves. Mm. Like what Jesus said to Peter, you know, who do you say that I am? You know, this is what this person says. This is what they say. But who do you say that I'm? Who am I in your life? And so that is when I was truly converted. I was baptized early. I was baptized in 1986. But looking back now, that really didn't change too much. I'm not sure if it could have been that maybe I just got wet that day and nothing more mm. um, on my baptismal day, 1986. But in 1990, I certainly made a decision to accept Christ as my Savior and to be used by Him. And how He would use me, I had no idea. I just wanted to be used by Him. And this has led on to pastoral ministry and, and evangelism. Well, reluctantly so. Um, <laughs> I guess when I, when I gave my heart to the Lord in 1990, there on that Friday evening, I remember turning up to church the next day and um, uh, some of the folk that knew me were like, what are you doing in church? You know, um, I was there all dressed up, ready for church with my Bible under my arm. And I shared with them, you know, I've given my heart to the Lord. And some of them were skeptical, um, doubtful. Um, certainly my friends that I'd hung out with, you know, those who were in the church with me, um, sadly, many of them are no longer um, in the church or more importantly, walking with the Lord. But I pray for them continually. Um, a lot of them said to me, Danny, you know, we don't think you're going to last. Um, you know, this kind of lifestyle is pretty boring compared to what you have been, you know, enjoying with, with us. 
However, I, I shared with all. You asked about ministry. I was very reluctant. I had um, a pastor by the name of Pastor Bud Beatty, and uh, he encouraged me to move into ministry. And I said, oh, no, 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 that's not for me. Um, the Lord's got something else for me. So I tried a number of other things. Um, I put the Lord off for about four years until 2004. 2004. No, sorry, 1994. I've gone well ahead. Until 1994. And, um, and yeah, through, a, through another set of interesting events, uh, the Lord called me but he finally, to pastoral ministry. But he finally drew you into what he wanted you to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And as far as evangelism goes, the truth is, Barry, um, when one minister invited me to get involved in, in public evangelism, I said, no, that's not for me. I'm not a public evangelist. That's for the Jeff Yeldons and, and so on and so forth of this. Well, that's not for me. I'm, that's, I, I just like pastoring. I like getting up Saturday morning and, you know, sharing a sermon. And, um, and that's about it. I don't, I don't think I'm cut out for any more. And, um, and it wasn't until um, I took on board the challenge to, to give it a go. That's all the pastor said. Look, just give it a go. Just run. Just do two or three evangelistic sermons, just do a little short mini-series, see how you go. If it's not for you, hey, nothing nothing lost. But if it is, wow, you never know. You may just be truly blessed. And I thank God that, um, yeah, he gave me that opportunity. Danny, what's your favorite Bible passage? Favorite Bible passages, there are many. But I guess the one that I share with individuals more than any other would have to be my favorite. And that's Philippians 4 and verses 6 and 7 where the apostle writes, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving in your hearts, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's my favorite scripture because it, it just entails the whole gospel. Um, Seems to capture your personality as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just, just the beautiful peace um, that we have in Christ and being anxious for nothing, but just committing everything to the Lord in prayer and, and knowing that he will take care of things. So what do you think we should all know, Danny, after I'm in mean, your life again? It's a work in progress. What do you think we should all know that you've learned from your own life? I believe that each person needs to come face to face with Jesus. I personally believe that when you truly come face to face with Jesus, and um, I didn't truly come face to face with Jesus until 1990, but I believe when you really come face to face with Christ and you discover what he wants for you and for your life, you'll never turn away. You'll never go and drink from the other wells um, because your your soul will be filled and it will be overflowing as Jesus shared with the woman at the well in John 4. And so I believe every single individual owes it to themselves to do as, as David invites us to do in Psalm 34 verse 8 taste and see that the Lord is good and he is good and I, th- and, and, and I praise God continually for that. Is there a challenge that you would like to give to our listeners based on your own experience? Absolutely. Uh, my challenge is this. Um, I, was, I was challenged uh, many years ago by that wonderful evangelist who is still alive, Pastor Kenneth Cox, to give God an opportunity to work in your life. I believe with all my heart that Christ wants to give each and every one of us the abundant life. He has told us in John 10, 10, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and that's Satan. That's the enemy. That's what he wants for your life. But Jesus says, 
my plan for your life is that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And my challenge is for each individual, this is probably the last time I will give this invitation in this series, for each individual to, to just simply say, Lord, what is it that you want for my life? And, um, and, and reveal your love to me. Help me to get to know you. Um, the challenge is getting to know Jesus, you know, really spending time with him in his word and in prayer. And, and if you do that, God will immerse you with his love. The arms of Christ will just surround you and you will experience that wonderful joy that only comes through Jesus. And once you've experienced that, you can't explain it, Barry. That's something you cannot explain. You can only experience your life will never be the same and others will be blessed through it. Danny, would you like to offer a pastoral prayer for our listeners? I'd love to, Barry. Thank you. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much that we can come before you. Father, what a wonderful God you are. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you sent him so that all who may believe in him, all who may put their faith and trust in him, may experience the abundant life. They may experience and the abundant life in the here and now and look forward to that abundant life going to a a new level in the world to come that you will prepare for all those that put their faith and trust in you, all those that, that heed the invitation to come and to experience that wonderful love that you have for all. Father, I want to pray for the listeners. I want to pray for each person that is listening to this broadcast that you will bless them. Bless them in a mighty way, Father. I pray that you will bless them and and give them good health. I pray that you will bless their families. I pray that you will bless them in their workplace. I pray that you will bless them where they reside. I pray that you will bless them in many ways. But Father, above all, I pray that you will bless them with the experience of having an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. That's all I want. That's all I want for the listeners, Father, that each one of them will experience the true joy that comes by knowing and experiencing Jesus in one's heart. So bless them all, Lord, and I pray that each one will indeed taste and see that the Lord is good. And I believe that once they taste the goodness of the Lord, they will never, ever again go seeking and searching for anything else. So bless them, Father, and thank you that we could share this time together and we commit our lives and our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Danny, and thanks very much for talking with me today. My pleasure. I'm Dr. Barry Harker, and you're listening to Life Learnings on 3ABN Radio Network. Remember to tune in again next time as I speak with another fascinating guest on Life Learnings. Until then, bye for now, and God bless you and keep you. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 